What's happening, people? Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 233, and I am chilling like a villain in my office. It's sunny outside today, which is uh, happy in my book because it's March in the Pacific Northwest. In fact, I moved here 14 years ago, and I remember the very first March that I experienced it rained for 30 days straight. Like, it was remarkable. I was like, what did I get myself into? And it's at that time of the year, too, where you're thinking like, no, this is when spring starts to emerge. This is when new life creeps out of death. And I remember just going after, like, three weeks of that, I, I, I'm just like, there is no spring in sight. There is there is no sunshine to be found. The, the sun has gone out. It's extinguished. And all that's replaced it is rain. That's what I thought. But as the years have gone on, it's like, man, marches are getting a little bit nicer, kind of broken up. Uh, kind of rainy days, sunny days, a little bit of mix. And that's one of those days today. But you are not here on the podcast to listen to me as some meteorologist talking about March. You are here to figure out how can we be everyday missionaries? And in particular, how can we do that in such a way that we let go of some of the traditions that maybe we've built into the equation, some of the baggage that we've strapped onto our camels here? And how can we get back to as authentic a Christ-like experience as is possible? And and I and I want to really highlight that word authentic because as I continue to navigate, uh, you know, kind of being a Bible teacher, Bible reader, uh, I look in particular at this whole series I've been doing on on Sunday mornings in the Gospel of Luke, it's amazing to me that at the core of what our experience is about, even more than certainty or accuracy, is this sense of uh, authenticity, that uh, what Jesus seeks is hearts that are committed to him. What God is looking for is that the interior of the person has an authentic spirit in wanting to fulfill, you know, God's missional requirements and mandates for us and to do it in the disposition and spirit that he is most pleased with. And, and as I continue to grow in all of these things, I just realize that that's what God wants. He wants hearts that are genuinely authentic when it comes to our our failures, our fears, our sometimes lack of focus, and that in doing that, there is a humility that's born from all of those things, more than kind of this creedal attack or more of this like, I'm positive that this way is the only way. It seems that what Jesus honors and admires in people is more of that radical dependence and humility where we know less than half of everything and we accept that and we want to be responsible to that reality. And from that, then we want to navigate out in our world in such a way that we make much of him, but we do it in a way where we remember that we're just a bunch of blind beggars that have been touched by his grace and we want to share that with others. And and I think that's the spirit of what this whole series is then trying to do is to wean us from the things that are getting in the way, wean us from some of our religious trappings in the name of evangelicalism, and get us back to this authentic, dependent, humble Christian experience, which even there, that word Christian, really I want to emphasize the capital letters of C-H-R-I-S-T, Christ, that that is the center point of what our Christian experience is all about, that we want to really investigate, like, how did Jesus interact with people and what did he make a big deal about and what were the things he blew off and what were the things he said, hey man, just... Don't sweat this because it's not a hill worth dying on versus, hey, here's the actual hill that matters. 
Now, throughout this series, the hill that has most mattered is the Sermon on the Mount. If there's any hill we die on, that's the hill we want to die on. There are tons of other little hills that we sometimes, in our modern context, we want to die on. We want to die on social hills. We want to die on political hills. We want to die on moral hills. Um, We want to die on academic or theological hills. And yet, it seems to me that the hill of the cross, the hill of the Sermon on the Mount, like those are the hills that we really need to die on. And then those other things like social, political, moral, ethical, intellectual, academic, whatever, like all of that stuff should be driven then through the filter of the hill that we died on with Christ and the hill that we continue to die on where he preached the greatest sermon the world has ever heard because it's really the the, the hill of the cross and the hill of the Sermon on the Mount where actual change in this world will happen. And I believe that's going to take some conviction on our part because, uh, matter of fact, I'm, I'm kind of eager to get out of this series and move on to some of the just like one-offs that I've been building up, kind of this list of things I want to hit on. Because in there, I, I think one of the things that's going to be really important is that we are moving into a phase in our in our walk with Christ where we are genuinely motivated by faith. And what I mean by that, and this is one of the series I'm going to do here real soon, it's the faith that says, I actually believe that the way Jesus articulated how change occurs is actually how change occurs. And I'm going to have the faith to lean hard into those ideas, even though everything will in me will scream like, no, this can't work. This won't work. Don't you see how the world is getting this done? you got to fight fire with fire. You can't be a pushover. You can't be a ninny. You can't just have this high and mighty platitude of a lowly experience to get things done. No, you got to have some real concrete, actionable plans in this world that push back against the darkness if you're going to get stuff done. And, and that's where I go back to Jesus is like, no, that's not what I said. What I said was, here's how you do it. You do things backwards, you do them opposite, you do them in an unlikely fashion, but you do it with faith, with hope, and with belief that really by doing it this way over the long haul, maybe not the short term model, but over the long haul, this is how things will get accomplished. I think that's going to take tremendous faith because too often, even in my own life, I want to wield control. I want to ensure success. I want to come up with battle plans that are proven in a worldly context to accomplish certain goals that I want to see uh, transpire or be accomplished in my life. And so the way of Jesus is just a very uncomfortable way because it lays all of that waste and asks us to do things very different. And so from that, that brings me to this final topic These last two are kind of been more like just kind of generalized concepts more than trying to get into the weeds of particular problems. But, but I think the last two are kind of combined, right? And so last week was all about fear versus faith and, and that we shouldn't be driven by the fears of society or the fears of losing rights or the fears that our kids are going to be corrupted or the fears that the economy is going to tank. Because as soon as we're motivated by fear, we're going to be motivated by sin to fix the things that, that we think need to happen to deal with our fears and kind of give us our own sense of earthly heaven, right? That's going to be the problem. But aligned with that is then the problem of today, which is the difference between being motivated by loyalty versus motivated by love. And that one's a little trickier because I don't want to make it sound like all loyalties are bad and all love is good. That's not quite what I'm getting at. But I am trying to say that we as followers of Jesus 
We need to transition the filter by which we're weighing things and doing things. And instead of saying, hey, am I being loyal to X, Y, and Z? We really need to think in terms of, wait, am I exercising love in the context of X, Y, and Z? And I think for us to be effective, then as missionaries, it means we need to kind of recalibrate what our loyalties are, how we hold our loyalties, how we fight for our loyalties, and then really embedded in that, it's to say, hey, am I being more loyal than I am being loving? Because I do think there is the danger that loyalty can be um, destructive. I think loyalty can undermine the things of Christ. And I think in the spirit of wanting to be loyal, we can be fundamentally uh, disingenuous to actually the mission Jesus has given us. And so let me see if I can kind of break this out a little bit. And this is even going to dive into something that I mentioned a couple podcasts ago about uh, a recent social media kind of blow up that I had. And as I've kind of thought about it more, I've realized, hey, this is the loyalty issue in play. And so if you didn't hear that episode or you weren't aware of what happened there, uh, basically, uh, you know, I had posted on uh, Facebook at the time something related to how uh, the world sees the church. And that I'm a pretty firm believer that the way forward for the church is not to bury our crimes or bury our bad behavior, but rather I think we have to flush it into the light. I think we need to upfront and openly tell the world that we agree that these actions are wrong. They don't represent Jesus well, and we're publicly wanting to acknowledge that. Now, in saying that, we're not trying to say that the church therefore is perfect. I think quite to the contrary, we know the church is imperfect, but in that we don't want to say because we're imperfect, but we don't want to have a bad reputation in the world. We're going to bury the lead on our problems so that they don't see it. No, we don't live in a world where that's possible anymore. We live in a world where everything 24-7 can be posted for the world to see, and the world sees our baggage, and they're calling us out for it. And if we try to turn a blind eye, pretend it doesn't happen, or we're worried about a reputation in the midst of our bad behavior, if if we're just worrying about that, we're going to fail miserably. And so uh, instead, what we want to do is acknowledge those problems. And then frankly, we want to get our act together and we want to do it better and we want to be more like Jesus, right? And so I posted this thing about here's how the world sees us and we're losing credibility in the world and we got to learn from this. And some people were very frustrated at me and angry at me because they felt like I was being disloyal. Here's that word now, disloyal to the church. And then from that disloyal to Jesus, because I was highlighting how the world sees his church. And my job as a pastor should be to try to maybe, I don't know, give better PR instead of point out our bad behaviors or whatever. I don't know what people expected from that. But but I look at that and I go, this is a problem of loyalty because here's what Jesus is not asking us to do. He's not asking us to be loyal at the cost of turning blind eyes. He's not asking us to be loyal and pretend like we don't have some things we need to fix. In fact, if anything, true loyalty would say, we want to openly acknowledge those problems. We want to call those things to the carpet. We want to tell the world, hey, this is wrong. Forgive us for this bad behavior. This is not like Christ. And we know that. And we're not going to continue to tolerate or or cover up, or turn a blind eye to such behaviors, but rather we're going to double down on greater expectations, greater accountability, a greater sense of the types of leaders that we want in our positions of leadership, which isn't about those who are the most accomplished, the most skilled, the most charismatic, but rather the most humble, the most spirit-dependent, the most authentically godly, transparent, open with our lives, acknowledge, you know, like the reality that we can be human and therefore we create more 
portals into our lives to watch our lives so that hopefully we model good behavior and we realize that the world is watching and that matters, right? So so all of that's going to have to be in play. And so from that, we need to have a higher, quote, loyalty to the things that Jesus most cares about and, and not have this diminished loyalty to the system or organization or structure at the cost of that higher loyalty to Christ. And I think that higher loyalty isn't in fact loyalty, but rather it's love. And so kind of going through that whole thing on social media and kind of seeing how people felt I was being disloyal and I'm looking going, look, no, I think I'm being more loyal to Christ's vision for the church. I realize that really this is the divide between loyalty and love again. And so what we're tempted to do is to say, you know what, when it comes to my tribe, I'm loyal. So I'm loyal to my political tribe. I'm loyal to my social tribe. I'm loyal to my religious tribe. And therefore, when my side does something wrong, loyalty dictates that I don't call that out as much, or I don't flinch as much to that as if the other side does something wrong. And I go, see, there it is. That's where they're off. They're broken, whatever kind of anger or umbrage, that's right, umbrage is a good word, that we want to apply toward the other side. Instead, we go, wait, though, this is a game of loyalties. So when my side does something wrong, I'm less critical. If my side does something right, I'm more praising. If their side does something wrong, I'm incredibly critical. And if they do something right, I'm very slow to praise. This is broken thinking. Because what Jesus calls us to is not our loyalties. He calls us to love. This is the most important, greatest command of all time, right? We we bang this drum as much as we can here on the podcast, right? When, When Jesus is posed with the great question, what's the one thing that matters most? He tells us point blank, love God, love your neighbor. That's it. That encapsulates the entire 613 commands of the Old Testament. You don't want to worry about memorizing all of that? Fine, just do this one thing. You're going to do really, really awesome in life. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 13. He says the same thing in Galatians chapter 5, right? Like love is the big idea. And therefore, when we're interacting in our world as missionaries, our loyalties kind of need to die. They kind of need to die. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not loyal types of people, but our loyalty is subservient to our mission to love. I think about Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, hey, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. You could have supernatural powers. You could have all knowledge. You could be the most influential person on the planet. But if you're not motivated by love, he's like, it does not matter at all. Why? Because of what I said at the beginning, Jesus is looking at the authenticity of our Christian expression. And that authenticity is not certainty. That authenticity is not um, like just raw conviction of a headbutting nature, that, that authenticity is humility, dependency, and the desire to affect and infect change through the model of love. Model love to those who are on the side we disagree with and model love to the people on the side where we find agreement with. Model love to our tribe and model love to a tribe that may want a war against my tribe. And a model to my tribe that we need to love that other tribe, no matter what their view of the world, no matter what their political, social, or moral framework is, we're just called to love. 
I, I, I think about this out of Ephesians chapter six. Like the, the problem so often is that we go, no, I need to be loyal to side A because side B is villainous in some way or side B wants to destroy the Western civilization as we know it. Side B wants to undermine all the Christian values. Side B wants to dismantle religious liberty. Side B wants to afford too many kind of relativistic or pluralistic ideals into culture and we need to stand against that. And I go, no, you're being loyal to ideas. You're not being loyal loyal to the command to love because the command to love sees those problems, sees that brokenness, and then remembers Ephesians 6. That all that stuff that's on some other side of whatever your tribe or worldview is, all of that stuff is actually connected to people and people, ready, are not our bad guys. People are not our bad guys. People are not our battlefield. People are our mission field. And our calling is to love those very people. Now, some will say, but you don't understand, Matt. They're they're trying to put Christianity at risk. They're wanting to, again, undermine the values we hold dear. My answer to that is, who cares? Literally, who cares that that's what they want to do? That does not change the commission that Jesus has given to us. Fine. They don't like us. He warned us about this. They want to go ahead and crush our faith. He warned us about this. And not only did he warn us, he told us what to do in the face of that. And the face of that is to remember Ephesians 6. You're like, Matt, what's in Ephesians 6? Ephesians 6 tells us that people is people are not our enemy. People are not the bad guys. People are the ones we're not to be angry at, frustrated about, uh, setting our will against. People are not our problem. Paul says, man, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's principalities, it's powers, it's, it's Satan, it's sinister ideas that get injected into the minds of people. But people are not the problem. And too often we're running around, especially in this evangelicalism thing, motivated by fear, we're vilifying people. Motivated by fear, we're saying they're the other side that we need to worry about. They're the other side that wants to destroy us. They're the other side that's just just crushing everything we hold dear as an American culture. And therefore, we need to stand against them, set our will against them. We need to go war against them. We need to make sure they don't have any power or influence or whatever else. And in the process of that, we're undermining our kingdom influence. Because I bring it back to the hills that we die on. The hill of Golgotha where the cross of Christ was set and the Sermon on the Mount where our marching orders were given. We die to ourselves and we do what Jesus says and that's how we change the world. And therefore, what we're really being motivated by is not the lesser loyalties of party, of platform, of economic vision for the world, of certain ideologies, right, that we want to be loyal to. But again, we subservient all those or or cause all those to drive under and they serve our deeper role, which is to love, to love those who are different than us, to love those who see the world in a way that's different than us, Who to, to actually love people who want to engineer the future where we're not a part of it because they go, no, you guys are too, whatever, you're too na- narrow or... Um, you're too particular, too exclusive, whatever. Like, if they want to write us out of history, that doesn't change that our calling still to love them, to invest into them, to care about them, to not see them as our proverbial bad guys, but rather they're all potential allies. And they are all actually neighbors. Even the ones that are our enemies, we still get the love. And so this is why, again, we want to remember that our loyalties are submitted to love. And love is meant to be given to all people equally, not just my kind and then lesser so to their kind, but rather to all kinds, 
to all kinds, because that's what's on the final exam again. That's what Jesus is going to check on at the end. He does not care about all those other things that we get wrapped up into, all excited about, passionate about, angry about, frustrated by, we throw down on social media, or we gripe about with our friends. Like, there's so many things that Jesus is like, you're wasting oxygen, you're wasting words, you're wasting time. I left you on the planet to be missionaries, to be a missional force for my kingdom, good, and change. And that's going to mean we have to embrace not fear, but faith, not loyalty, but love. That we take seriously this great command and that we fulfill what we call the great commission to be missionaries in light of that great command. And that we don't look at our world in frustration and fatigue, but rather we look at our world as lost, as desperately needing us to step up and be what Jesus calls us to be. Not step up and push for legislation or new rules or new power structures or new politicians or whatever else. Like that doesn't fix anything. That's just moving the the chairs around on the Titanic while it's going under, right? Like, no, the only thing that will move the needle toward change is what we see at the end of James chapter three, where he talks about these things of, uh, you know, sowing uh, in peace, true righteousness through the act of peacemaking, having a sincerity, not getting all worked up about things. Like go, go read like James chapter three, like verse 17. It is beautiful when it comes to this idea of, wait, we know what our missional calling is. We are to be the absolute peacemakers. We're to be the absolute lovers of all people. We're to remember that the bad guys do not walk among us, right? But rather, everybody is a neighbor. Everybody is a potential ally. Everybody is a future friend. And we are to lean into that with the spirit of being sacrificial servants, of being those who are the least of the least as Christ did that for us. That we put others' needs before our own, Philippians chapter 2. That we have the mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2. That we remember that we want all of our conversations to be seasoned with salt. Colossians chapter 4, right? Like, like we have so many things at our disposal to be reminded of on how to live and what to do. But what it requires is that we really believe that the way of Jesus works. See, in this entire series, I think that's the thing I walk away with in the end. That, that really what has happened, I think, within our evangelicalism is that there's been a certain level of the way of Jesus doesn't fully work. So it's Jesus plus all these other additives. It's Jesus plus all this extra stuff. It's Jesus plus all these additional agendas. And then with that in alignment, then we can get things done. And yet what I've seen over the 30 years of being a pastor is that it's doing the opposite. The attrition rates are higher than ever before. The low view of the church is higher than ever before. Our younger people are leaving the church faster than ever before. And instead of us saying, hey, but that's because the world is corrupting them and society is dismantling our Christian faith and the bad guys are what's really at the the core of the issue— I go, no, if we have a compelling faith, people don't leave. If we have a compelling faith, people come. If we have a compelling faith, people see us in a light and they go, man, you offer something I don't see in the world around me. And that, my friends, means we need to get back to not loyalty, but love. Not tools of the world plus Jesus, but just Jesus, right? Not all these other hills that we're dying on, but just the cross and the Sermon on the Mount. Those two hills are the hills we must love and love our world with. And I believe if we can do that and do that, not perfect, but but make that every day our striving a little bit better, a little bit better, we make that our mission and an objective, then we will be incredible everyday missionaries.